0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to today's show. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about consciousness, and it's going to be um, curious to see where this discussion goes. Um, Some of you who are listening to the podcast are religious in your orientation. Uh, I would imagine most of you are philosophical in your orientation. We certainly have some people here that identify as atheists and religious types. I know I've had conversations with you all via DMs and uh, support and all of that kind of stuff. And I like the fact that there's such a broad audience uh, for Next Level Human and that uh, both religious, different types of religions, uh, types of people and philosophically oriented people and individuals who uh, really have no belief, really, atheists. And I think most of you know, I would probably most aptly Uh, classify myself as agnostic, meaning that um, I'm not uh, convinced that it is wise to claim I either do or do not know for sure what is the nature of the universe and what is going on. However, in today's uh, episode, we are going to talk a little bit about one belief system that I have been introduced to uh, here very recently in the last six months and have been studying, uh, and I want to talk to you today about this and weave in some of my beliefs. So as you're listening to this, as with most things with next level human, what you want to do is you want to listen loosely. And what I mean by that is try not to become attached or triggered or, um, Anything else regarding this in terms of your beliefs, what you want to do is enter into this podcast with a loosely held orientation, if possible, being as humble in your belief system as you can, uh, because what I'm going to present, I think, has utility for all of us in terms of uh, how we may be able to orient uh, our different belief systems into a better organizing framework, perhaps around consciousness. And this uh, discussion of consciousness oftentimes goes to uh, aspects of the spiritual conversation that I think um, can be confusing for some people at best and irritating uh, at worst. And these orientations would be things around um, what I would call spiritualist ideas or new age ideas, things like the law of attraction that um the universe is somehow conspiring in your favor or the universe has your back uh so to speak and this is oftentimes couched uh under the guise of quantum physics being something that uh proves these things when in reality i think if you talk to a true quantum physicist which i am not you will find out pretty quickly that now, that is not the case at all that most people, uh, do not understand quantum physics at all. And most quantum physicists who study this thing their whole life, um, will be quick to tell you they don't even quite understand it. That, a l- but a lot of the things, uh, in quantum physics are sort of misattributed or misunderstood and, uh, claim to have a new age and, uh, you know, sort of spiritual magic associated with them. We might call this spiritual woo or new age inclinations. Now, let me be clear from my perspective. I really don't think there's anything wrong with these things. Yes, they can at sometimes be a bit annoying and not annoying because they don't jive with my beliefs, just annoying because we don't necessarily know. And I know that can be a little bit annoying, um, but it is fun and perhaps very useful to play with beliefs. And let me tell you what I mean by this. What I have found in my work, uh, first as a uh, functional medicine clinician, and then later on as I've delved more and more into psychology, philosophy, and doing more life coaching work, is that what someone believes and holds to be true has a huge implication on the way the world shows up for them And the way that they can bounce back from negative events in their lives. And from my perspective, whatever belief someone holds is perfect from my perspective. So long as it meets two criteria, criteria one being that it is helpful to them, that it helps them manage life, which can be, as we know, very difficult, very troubling, very trying at times. As the Buddhists say, life is suffering And that's one of the first things that we need to understand about life. Life is not fair. Life can be incredibly difficult. Uh, We get to happen to life, but life oftentimes happens back. And so our beliefs at best should help us weather the storms of life. Should they not? Isn't this the entire point, perhaps, of religious orientations, philosophical orientations and ethics and morals? And these kinds of things that help keep us on the straight and narrow. We all need uh, both lighthouses and anchors in the storms of life, which will inevitably come. We all are going to suffer. That is one thing that we know. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is inevitable. Pain being physical pain. Suffering being emotional uh, pain. We are going to deal with things in our life that are not easy. Uh, We are all going to age. We are all going to die. These things are certain. So our beliefs should help us in this regard. And criteria two should be that they don't hurt others in the process. And from this orientation, you can see that many, many beliefs could help a person, but also in their uh, action and in their practice, uh, hurt others. So they can help us and hurt others. They can also hurt us and hurt others. Uh, And they also can help us and help others. And so my only true orientation has become whatever your belief is. I don't care if you believe that the universe is being run by a giant pink dinosaur. Um, So long as that belief helps you and help others, helps others, then I am all for that belief. Now, what I'm going to present today is a belief system that I think is directly compatible with um, many other belief systems and that may be something to begin to consider, because when we think about beliefs in the modern age, what we normally have is there's very few people that believe strictly in one thing. Their beliefs oftentimes diverge and meander and move up and down and side to side. There might be some, you know, sort of uh, Christian religious uh, undertones. There might be some uh, Buddhist and or Hinduist Hinduism and or Taoist philosophy mixed in. Uh, And most of us really, when you really get down to it, there's very few fundamentalists uh, left in the world that have a very strict interpretation in a religious sense of what the world is and lives their life that way. Most people have adjusted uh, these religious doctrines and um, philosophical uh, discussions and beliefs and come up with sort of their own hodgepodge of ways of looking at the world. And many of us might say this is new agey. Some of us might just call this the new spiritualism. Uh, there's many different ways to look at it. But I think we could admit that if you took, you know, a hundred Christians or a thousand Christians or a million Christians and a million Buddhists and a million uh Jewish individuals and a million new age type people and and none of them are going to have exactly the same beliefs. So these beliefs do uh change and are held in different ways and ultimately we want to be able to have beliefs that serve us while not hurting others and hopefully help us and help others. And so to that uh to that bent to that discussion, we're going to have a discussion today um with two sort of philosophies or metaphysics. Now if you're not uh used to reading philosophy and you don't understand what the term metaphysics means, it just simply means our sort of understanding of reality, the way that we think reali- reality manifests. And so if you are uh, have a Christian metaphysics, your reality is one that would be that there is a God, a man God, an anthropomorphic God that essentially uh, is... Uh, looking after humans and that there is a heaven and a hell and all the things that, uh, you know, entail a sort of Christian metaphysics. Now, if you are someone who has more of a Taoistic or Taoist metaphysics, you will not necessarily see um, universe uh, as a consciousness that is aware of and or concerned uh, with humans uh, you will more see this as a philosophical creative force that uh, sort of is nameless, formless, shapeless, that does animate the world, that has uh, creative uh, potential, but is not really uh, able to be truly known in that sense. And so there are very different types of metaphysics from that uh, perspective. And we're going to talk about. Um, two of the uh, big ones in philosophy, one being materialism, which is the metaphysics and or belief that matter, in a sense, creates consciousness. And then we're also going to be talking a little bit about the idea of idealism, which is, strictly speaking, the opposite, which says that consciousness or mind creates matter. And I'm going to be suggesting at least loosely and humbly that idealism may be the way that we want to be looking uh, at the world. And that Taoism, which is uh, my orientation, my primary orientation or metaphysics, uh, is more idealistic in its nature. Now, why would I be doing that? Am I doing this so that you would take on an idealistic philosophy? Absolutely not. I'm doing it because I think there might be some um, compatibility between this idealist view and many of the views that new age individuals and spiritualists look at things. And I also think you might find very curiously that the idealistic view also is far more compatible with a religious God orientation or or as well. And that materialism may not necessarily be. Now, let me be right up front here. Many of you listening to this may have more of a background on this stuff than I do. I'm just uh, doing this podcast today because this is what I've been studying for the last six months. Primarily, if you're interested in one of the books that I've read, which I've now now read five times, which probably isn't enough, but it is a book called Materialism is Baloney by Bernardo Castro. And um, I'm probably going to butcher his ideas, but That book also sent me, uh, tearing through the idealistic world and the non-dualistic world, looking at uh, people like Rupert Spira and others who hold this belief system. And for me, I've been playing around with this belief system because it seems to fit nicely with, um, the Taoistic way that I look at the world, but it also has seemed to bring up questions for me and, uh information for me that has been extremely useful in adjusting perhaps my belief in a direction that is helpful for me and perhaps will be helpful for others. And so this is really one of these podcasts that is an idea-based podcast. And so let's get into this. So the modern day way of looking at metaphysics from uh, the scientific point of view has really veered very Uh, Close to materialism. Now, by the way, I don't know if materialism is true. I don't know if idealism is true. I am presenting these as a way to orient you as a as a introduction into these ideas. And uh, the materialistic viewpoint is the viewpoint that most scientists currently hold. And the view goes something like this, that as we as a species, we as we evolved. Our nervous systems, as they've gotten more and more um, uh, complicated and uh, more and more uh, processing power, that as that begins to occur, consciousness sort of spontaneously arises out of this. And so that our brain action create consciousness, create uh, the ability uh, to be conscious. And when I'm talking about conscious here, I'm really talking about this idea of consciousness from the perspective, perspective of being aware that we are aware. Now, people talk an awful lot about this, but we humans, along with perhaps many other animals, can be aware that we are aware. We can analyze our own thoughts. We can be self-reflective in a way looking at ourselves, thinking about what we are thinking about, right? So we are aware that we are aware and we are aware that we are aware that we are aware. It's almost as if, if we found ourselves, if you could imagine, in one of these fun houses in the circus where we're in a mirror house and we walk in and there's a mirror behind us and in front of us. And when we look into the mirror in front of us, we can see ourselves again and again and again and again and again and again. And when we get in these sort of fun houses and these sort of, uh, cir- where these, these circuses that have these fun houses and we get into some of these mirror houses, we can all oftentimes be confused and become confused about which of those images is actually us because all of a sudden they're so reflective and almost infinite visions of ourselves, uh, show up, don't they? And so materialism essentially says, That as our brain and nervous system processing becomes more complex, consciousness arises out of this and this self-reflective capacity uh, sort of arises. And once that happens, we have to ask ourselves the question, what world are we aware of and what are we sort of looking at? What world are we navigating? Is this a world that is just an illusion that we create ourselves. Can we be sure that there are any other people who are, um, conscious? And materialism essentially says that in a sense, we, the world that we see is a world out there that is separate from us, but it's not exactly what we see. It's slightly different. In other words, we are seeing something, but our senses and Uh, pick it up imperfectly. And so we can never be quite sure what is going on out there and what really is out there. So if I'm sitting here talking right now to you doing this podcast, looking into my phone, talking into this microphone, materialism would say there is a phone out there. There is an object that is a phone. There is an object that is a camcorder. There is an object that is, you know, a microphone that I'm speaking into But the way that I perceive those things isn't exactly as they are. In fact, they are different. And in a sense, I am just operating an illusion. So there's two worlds in a sense. There's the world uh, that I am generating this consciousness. And there's the world outside of me that is picking up uh, this, uh, that is, you know, that I am picking up and being aware of. And that I can't possibly know what this world is. And in fact, that this world is the very world that makes up consciousness in the first place since the matter that my brain is made up of where all these connections are happening is uh, sort of uh, the uh, building blocks to my brain. And so in a very weird way, when you follow materialism to its core, it essentially says we are made up of things that generate, uh, you know, the ability to pick up a world that we can't be sure of exists in the first place. And so in a very real way, as a metaphysics, materialism is a metaphysics, a belief system, a view of reality that is in a sense non-falsifiable. In other words, we can't really prove that this is real, can we, since there's a world out there that we can't necessarily truly know that creates our brain that then helps us pick up this world that we don't truly know. And this is kind of the world that um, the current scientific uh, world sort of uh, says is true. This metaphysics of materialism tends to dominate that matter creates mind rather than the other way around. So what does idealism then say? Well, idealism essentially says that everything is mind. Everything is consciousness, in a sense. We are consciousness. And consciousness is creating matter. And so that me and this microphone I'm talking into and this uh, phone that I am speaking into, that's capturing my image, we are made of the exact same thing. We are all manifestations of mind. And so that there is a world out there in a sense, but we can't necessarily, as individuals, see this in the same way we can't, as Alan Watts would say, bite our own teeth in a sense, or see our own eyes in a sense, because we are mind in mind in other words it's all just mind it's all just consciousness and as you look around at the things in the world these are different expressions of mind and there is nothing else so there is no other world out there when i see the phone or talking to the microphone I really am seeing the phone and talking into the microphone, and yet they are made of the same material that I am made of. It is all just consciousness in a sense. And my brain, our brains are simply a filter for this universal consciousness, almost like an antenna that downloads certain segments of this consciousness and that time and space are... And the senses, seeing, tasting, hearing, touching, all of these kinds of things are ways that we experience uh, this consciousness, which we are. So in a very real sense, the idealist philosophy might say something along the lines of we are fish made of water swimming in an ocean that has no surface and no bottom and has no beginning, no shore, and no end. So we are fish made of water, swimming in water, unaware that we are the exact same thing that we perceive. This is the idealistic philosophy. Let me interrupt the show just for a few minutes because I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Evolve Telemed. One of the questions I get all of the time, one of the services, that you are asking me for constantly is hormone replacement therapy. Women going through menopause, women going through perimenopause, women in postmenopause, women under stressful situations who are dealing with low sex hormone levels, estrogen and progesterone, are constantly asking me about progesterone therapy or estrogen and progesterone therapy. And men, same thing, constantly asking me about testosterone replacement therapy. Plenty of you. Many of you always asking, Jade, can you prescribe me hormones? I need testosterone if you're a man or I need estrogen and progesterone or testosterone if you're a woman. And I always have to say that I am no longer seeing patients in this way because my educational duties are keeping me so busy. And this is where Evolve Telemed Comes in. I have been looking for a company that does bio identical hormone replacement therapy, and that is critically important. If you're going to be doing HRT or TRT, HRT being hormone replacement therapy for women, TRT being testosterone replacement therapy for men, if you are going to do these therapies, you want the bio identical hormones. You want the hormones that your body makes naturally, that your body can recognize, that is no different from the hormones your body would make if you were making adequate levels. Bioidentical Hormone Replacement Therapy does just this, and Evolve Telemed is a company that I am now using for my own testosterone replacement needs and have been super impressed with the way that they have structured their business model. And so I am now bringing this service to you through my partnership with Evolve Telemed. Essentially, the way this works is you go online, you make an appointment with Evolve. Evolve gets a doctor with you on a Zoom call. They go through your whole case. They go through your blood labs. They then prescribe your hormones directly to you, and you can get those hormones wherever you are. You do not have to go to a clinic near you. All you need is to have an Internet access point and you can meet with an expert in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and get those prescriptions. Now you can see why this is so powerful, can't you? Because this is something that so many of us need and can benefit from for our aging needs, our sexual health needs. These things have profound impact on mood, hair, skin, erections, libido, you name it. These things do everything for our metabolic health and vitality. So I am incredibly excited to bring Evolve Telemed to you. Now the link that you go to is drjade.com/hormones. drjade.com/hormones. This will bring you to the Evolve Telemed portal. If you use the code NEXTLEVEL, you will get a discount on checkout for your first patient visit. I'm very excited to be able to bring this to you and I hope you will use Evolve Telemed. I know you're going to find it extremely powerful to move your hormone needs over to them. Check them out. Evolve Telemed. Use the link drj.com hormones drj.com slash hormones for Evolve Telemed. And let's get back to the show. And so one of the ways that you can think about this is you can think about um, this idea. Imagine you're looking at a lake, a body of water, and it's one of these completely still bodies of water that when you look in, it reflects, it has this reflective capacity that uh, essentially allows you to reflect anything on top of it. And you can kind of think of this as when this body of water becomes disturbed and has ripples put upon it, it creates waves. And as those waves form, as you look from one wave across the crest to another wave, you get this little trough, don't you? And at that point, you can see that there's some self-reflection happening. This mirror effect, in other words, one wave that is peaking is reflecting the other wave that is peaking, and there is this recognition across that divide of two waves. This self-reflective capacity begins to occur, and this now appears a lot like that funhouse we were talking about, doesn't it, where you can see across this mirror, this divide and when you do this, you, the consciousness that is occurring right there, this is where ego consciousness perhaps occurs. As soon as consciousness can become self-aware and reflect upon itself and essentially see itself, almost like a, you know, sort of a whirlpool forming in the middle of a lake where across that boundary, you can see yourself or consciousness can see itself. This in idealism is what someone like a Bernardo Kastrup is referring to as ego consciousness. This idea that once this, this mind, this consciousness begins to form waves or ripples and these ripples form these sort of Troughs and crests, and there can be self reflection across two waves. Ego consciousness, in a sense, develops. In other words, we can then see ourselves. We can become aware that we are aware. And this, in the idealistic way of looking at it, is how we begin to form consciousness. Now, you can imagine as Jade, Tita, or you began to form consciousness in one localized aspect of this infinite mind, I can then become self-aware of me. And you then could form also a whirlpool somewhere within this body of mind. And so could other individuals. And the reason perhaps that we don't remember, don't understand that we are all just part of the same exact consciousness or mind is because in the words of Bernardo Castro, we become self-obfuscated in a sense. In other words, if I go outside in the middle of the day and look up at the sky, the bright sky, I won't see any stars. But those stars and the light that they are releasing are still reaching my eyes. They're just obfuscated or drowned out or blared out by the more powerful light of the sun. So now you could imagine the same thing could be happening when we become self-aware through this self-reflective aspect of universal consciousness. We become self-aware of ourselves. We get trapped in this funhouse, this uh, aspect of these self-reflective, continuous reflections of these mirrors, mirror images, and we forget That we are part of something larger in the same way that when we're outside in the middle of the day, we forget that there are stars shining, even though they are and even though that light is still reaching us. And this obfuscation makes us miss our connection to other humans and the greater source consciousness. So you might say, well, Jade, why are you going through this? And maybe this is sounding really confusing. I'm going through this because I have uh, one of these pet peeves that uh, is something that I find troubling. And one of the, and and just see what you think about this as well, because perhaps you don't find it troubling at all. But I hear many, many people speak in very spiritual, very flowerly, flowery, flowerly, in this very light, spiritual, flower sweet type language. We're all connected. Everybody is one love and light. You've heard this, these terminologies. And then I'm shocked to see some of these people behave and act and think and talk in ways that are completely destructive to themselves and c- completely destructive to other people. Sometimes in violent ways, sometimes in destructive ways to themselves and others. And for me, I go, why is this the case? And many mystical traditions talk about this idea that the illusion of separateness from source consciousness is the the sort of source of all fear and the source of our need to try to control others and try to chase power and forget that you are connected to me and I am connected to you and we are connected to them and in a sense we are de- derived from the the same universal consciousness. And maybe now you're starting to see why this idea is perhaps a useful one to try on, even if it's not uh, particularly true in your mind or my mind or true in general. You could see that this idea of idealism begins to become fairly useful because it gives us a way of understanding the world that we see is the world that we see, that it is derived of the same material that we are, that we misapprehend our separateness from it. And as such, we create suffering where suffering may not necessarily belong. And we forget in a very powerful way that we are connected one to the other, that you are me in a sense, I am you. We are each individual reflections expressions of source consciousness. And if you want to call source consciousness God, you certainly could. And this starts to then get into a very inclusive way of having a metaphysics that can be very inclusive of many metaphysical ideas. And in my mind, many religious orientations as well, because it looks and essentially says, perhaps there is a source consciousness. There is a one creative force. And in a very real sense, this could be what many, uh, monotheistic religions call God. And in a sense, this could be, in a sense, what the Taoist call Tao, this creative universal consciousness that, uh, you know, essentially is animating all of life. And in a very real sense, this begins to teach us Some of the mystical traditions and certainly some of the things that some people feel they tap into when they are doing meditation or when they are having sex or when they are having a psychedelic experience or any of these things exercise. Whenever we tap into this feeling of euphoria that we are connected, that we are one, when we are praying, when we are meditating, this perhaps is the universal source consciousness that we are all essentially tapping into that we are all a part of. And this idealist idealist metaphysics begins to make this very tangible. At least it has made it more tangible for me. And it begins to address this idea of, okay, Jade, then why do we feel so separate? And what are we exactly? Well, if we are filters for consciousness, what that would mean is if you can imagine, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and I was born in 1973. So I still remember those old radios that you reached out with your fingers and tuned the dial. And it would sort of make this weird like sound until you hit on, you know, 107 uh, FM or something like that, where you could tune into a particular radio station. So if you imagine each of our brains as a filter for consciousness, and I, let's say, am 107 FM on that particular station. Well, if you want to think about this as a YouTube channel or a Spotify playlist, I'm tuned into a particular genre of universal music, which makes me look a particular way, feel a particular way, think a particular way, have a unique place in uh, the context of space and time that makes Jade unique. And makes me slightly different and experiences this universal consciousness in a slightly different way than you do. And the same way that a dog has a different consciousness. And maybe, you know, humans are the FM channel and dogs are the AM channel and other animals each have their own channels and each of their uniqueness is being filtered in this way in a very uh, in, in the way that we might filter a satellite signal or radio signals. And this is what makes us all unique. And this obfuscation, this self-reflective capacity that forms each of our egos is what gives us the illusion that we are separate, but in reality, we are not. And this becomes pretty powerful way to begin looking at this because then it begins to explain Why, for example, throughout history, before the internet, we have learned about people who are working on particular problems, picking up things from dreams, having psychedelic experiences, picking up things seemingly out of the ether, working on problems, scientific problems, and then having someone... All across the, the world, the planet, who knew nothing of this other person, who lived in a different culture, who was absolutely tapped into and working on the exact same problem, yet they had no way of knowing that each other were there. It also, it could explain things like uh, extrasensory perhaps perceptions, perhaps, um, uh, near-death experiences, and the... Uh, very interesting commonalities between people when they go through near-death experiences. They can start to perhaps explain things that science, in its traditional materialistic way of looking at things, has not been able uh, to explain. And what's interesting about this ideal idealist metaphysics is it doesn't contradict at all any of the known laws of science. It just presents a different way of looking at it. Instead of it being the hand going or, you know, sort of the glove going on the hand, it's more the hand going in to the glove, so to speak. It's just an inversion of something that perhaps is more useful for us as an explanatory mechanism for many of the things that both mystics and science and history have shown us uh, over the years. And this is why this can be so Powerful, Which brings me to my final uh, sort of musings on this subject. You have oftentimes heard me listening to this podcast say that we are each, each of us is a unique spiritual fingerprint. In other words, each human on the planet is unique. There has never been another you in the history of humanity, nor will there ever be again. And part of that has to do with your unique genetics, your unique personality, your unique occupying uh, time in history, and your context of the space in which you live. None of these things are the same as they have ever been, nor will they ever be. Life is constantly changing. So you are unique. You also are unique in your experiences, the people who have hurt and helped you. Uh, your passions, the thing that you are interested in, your superpowers, your talents, the things you're really, really good at, your personality, which we already said, which in- incorpor- incorporates your perception and your unique perspective. And of course, your pain and your suffering. And all of this uh, makes you incredibly unique. And then that brings us to the question of, well, you are here. You are unique expression of this source consciousness. If that is true, and if you understand this, then it pushes you to understand you are a unique spiritual fingerprint and perhaps most importantly, a unique purpose potential. In fact, there is something perhaps that you can do in a way that no one else can do. Even if you and I teach the same things, you teach self-development, personal development. You teach metabolism. But there's something unique about your voice. There's something unique about your perspective. There's something unique about the way you say it, the way you internalize it, the way that you teach it that will move people in a way that I never could. So even if we were born the same year, even if we are siblings, even if we have as close to a possible of the same upbringing, you, by your very nature, are going to be unique in a sense. And this brings me to this idea that this source consciousness, which we are all uniquely a part of and which we sometimes forget, is still interacting with us in a way. It's still pushing us. It's still uh, influencing us. How could it not be? And that this perhaps is the thing that we need to be tapping into And that perhaps as we walk through the world, our unique way of perceiving and interacting with this source consciousness that we are a part of is exactly what we need to be doing. And that the culture level way of copycatting everyone else that you see goes against this principle and the base level way of pretending that I am the only person that matters on the world and that I'm completely separate from you also goes against this idealist way of looking at things and this nature of source consciousness. And perhaps this is why we have to understand that a next level human is someone that understands this. And understands that they must always see themselves as an individual expression of source consciousness while simultaneously understanding they are also a direct connection to source consciousness and to you as also a direct connection to source consciousness, which means we must always take care of ourself and other because both are the same. You are me. I am you. We are them. They are us, in a sense. And isn't this the nature of all spiritual, religious underpinnings in a very real sense? You can find this in every single religious allegory, myth, anything like that that you could possibly imagine. And these myths and these religions and these stories don't have to be literally true to express this universal truth. And so you do not have to take the Bible, for instance, as the literal word of God. You can still find, for example, universal truths in the stories. And the same goes for Judaism and the same goes for Islam and the same goes for uh, any philosophical tradition or any uh, mythological tradition from any of these ancient cultures. And when you begin to look at it this way, it begins to open up your mind in a sense to begin free you from the judgment about other people's beliefs, free you from the judgment about the need for your beliefs to be completely true and allows you to begin to understand yourself and the consciousness and mind that you are derived from or an extension of. And I'm hoping that you begin to see this as something that is profound. And something can, that can profoundly begin to free us from some of the suffering that we might have. And the final thing I would say here is if this source consciousness is the nature of it is such that it is self-reflective and that we are that self uh, expression of that self-reflective process and that we can't in the sense look at our own eyes or bite our own teeth without some of this self-reflective process, without the help of a mirror, so to speak, to actually see us and become aware that we're aware, that perhaps we are the very ways in which this source consciousness dreams itself or perceives itself. Perhaps in a very real sense, without us, source consciousness would not be able to experience itself at all and that us living our unique lives and following our purpose potential and being true to our spiritual fingerprint is exactly the point and is what evolves this source consciousness in the first place and in this way we are in a sense the instruments of god or source consciousness right we are an extension of source consciousness if you thought if you think about our bodies as an analogy of source consciousness, then some of us are fingers, others of us are toes. Some of us are elbows, some of us are feet. We can't move, the world doesn't move without us being expressions and living out the expressions of our lives, which means we must do that from a perspective from now on of attending to our individual nature while also never forgetting we are connected to every other conscious being because we are all extensions of source consciousness. Like a giant octopus, universal octopus, with all these little suction cups all over all its legs. And then if you look closely, also all these little bumps all over its skin, with each of us being one of these bumps, one of these suction cups, a unique place in the infinite universal source consciousness that has a unique nervous system and a unique sensing apparatus that senses and samples one small aspect of the universe. And how powerful this could be if we begin to take on the job of evolving source consciousness, because when we think about what source consciousness is, if it includes everybody, and everything, then that means it is integrative. It has to integrate everything. Then that means it's holistic. Then that means it's never divisive. It's never dividing because it's all the same thing. And then so we can now become spiritual in our thinking and our actions by realizing that anytime we divide, dehumanize, try to have, uh, non-integrative thinking, non-holistic ways of living, trying to go against the the universal source nature, we are perturbing and devolving and degrading source consciousness and therefore ourselves. And anytime that we are inclusive and integrative and holistic in our ways of living and being with other people, with animals, with the planet, with the universe at whole, then we evolve Source consciousness and ourselves, and that this is the path of the next level human. So I'm going to stop right there today and let this sit with you, this unique aspect of you and me and how we are all perhaps just expressions, nervous system expressions, unique points within this infinite ocean. We are fish made of water swimming in water. I'll see you at the next show.